Hi, this is Jason Lee, pastor at Casper Alliance Church. Thanks for listening to our weekly teaching podcast from our Sunday morning uh, worship gathering. We are currently in a year of biblical literacy, and this is the uh, final week of our series on kingdoms. We're going to be talking about prophets, and then we're going to move into a, another thread of this year of biblical literacy, talking about Jesus. Hope you have a great week. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about our church, Casper Alliance Church, you can check us out at casperchurch.com. Or if you'd like to download our app, you can go to your app store, Google Play Store, search for Casper Alliance Church, look for the double C's, download the app, you'll connect with us there. Have a great week. We're doing this year of biblical literacy, um, where we're exploring the... uh, these threads in scripture that that we believe end in the the beautiful sweater that points us to Jesus. So we're weaving these together, and at the end of the day, the Bible's about Jesus. And each thread we're going through is, I think, going to continue to point us. So here's what we did: we we had this uh, thread on on the Bible, the authority of scripture. Really we went through the doctrine of scripture and why it matters. Because if the Bible doesn't matter in your life, in your heart, in your mind, it's never going to accomplish anything spiritually for you. But it's designed to accomplish much in the life of anyone who reads it. Okay, so we spent some time doing that. Then we talked about origins and, and just setting up the framework of, of how things began to be built. And then we, we slid into this thread we're in right now called Kingdoms. And we sang this song this morning, which I should have requested probably a long time ago, because I want to believe that the Wren Collective knew what they were doing, that they're a bunch of theologians when they wrote this song. But I, I mean, maybe they, the words rhymed. But I, let's throw this first line up here. <laughs> okay, this is a really important biblical line. So this is why I want to believe Wren Collective knew what they were doing when they, when they wrote this. Your beauty changing hearts, you made us, made us for much more than this, awake the kingdom seed in us. So we've talked about being image bearers, that God created us in his likeness, in his image, that we are little idols. Like that's, that's the language, it's the Hebrew language that we're little idols. We are designed, made, humanity is God's uh, reflection of himself. We are, we did this in Sunday school day. Let's do it again right now. We're not going to go too detail. Adrienne, come up here. And Carter, come up here, please. This is the perfect example. You should come to Sunday school. You will totally understand this uh, if you're in Sunday school. So uh, Carter's going to stand in between us, uh, and Adrienne's going to stand on the other side. And this is just to cast the whole vision of, this is what the Bible teaches about image bearing, right? I am Jason. This is Adrienne. We created this. He is an image of us, right? So you can look at Carter and you say, oh, he has red hair, round face, handsome, good looks. But when you look at Carter, you can see, and again, when we first moved here, it was even more, it was more pronounced with how Carter looked like me than he does right now, right? That's the magic that all you 11-year-olds, that's the magic of puberty. This is what it, it turns, it turns you into something else. It's, um, so Carter... Carter is an image bearer, right? So wherever Carter goes, whatever Carter, like people who know us go, wow, you have your mother's hair. Wow, you have your father's nose or his ears. Like they, or what's really interesting, if you look deep into his eyes, 
And I didn't bring Caleb up here because it takes too long to move his hair. <laughs> when you look deep into his eyes, you'll see his brown eyes with his red hair. It's a complete whatever this is as that. So does it make sense? You guys see it, right? That's a, Thank you. Thank you. Ask Miss Jinx. Ask Grandma Jinx for some money. Um, so this is what, this is what the, uh, when, when God, the writer of, of Genesis says, he made humans in his likeness, in his likeness, he made them. That's a beautiful poem. And he blessed them and told them to be fruitful and multiply. This is what, this is what God was launching humanity into doing. Create little replications of yourself, of me, Right? So go back to that, uh, throw that back up there again, right? So we get into this kingdom thing. And, and what, I, what I want us to capture as we've been talking about kingdoms is that God is establishing his kingdom, which he did in Eden with Adam and Eve and said, this is, this is my kingdom and I want you to rule and reign in it. It's mine, but you, you can manage it and take care of it. And then last week we talked about the fall. And what, what, the, what I want you to understand is that there is inside of humanity this seed that's, that's being grown as we are connected to our creator, to God, that is, 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 is doing this thing that fills us with strength and love of Jesus. Now, um, it changes our heart, the seed that like is kind of just like growing. Now, go to the chorus of this song that we sang. We talk about God's kingdom. We talk about the fact that last week we, uh, that humanity wanted to define for themselves what good and evil was, Genesis 3. And, and that we want our own kingdom. And really what we're going to find is that there is a kingdom in conflict right now. God's kingdom versus what we want to define as our own kingdom. And that kingdom is here on earth. So there's a conflicting kingdom happening right now. And so what, as we sang this, we, Lord, build your kingdom here. Here. So heaven meet earth which has already happened, by the way. In creation, that was what happened. Day one, heaven met earth. Eden landed on earth. Within this creation, there was a garden. Within the garden, there was this Eden. And within the Eden, there was this tree. And within this area, there was this whole space where they worked and worshiped and they played and they walked in the presence of God. And we found out last week, and we're going we're to recap that here in a second, that they, they screwed up and they were banished from that place. But here's the deal. We want God's kingdom built here. Here, now, we believe, I believe, and I'm trying to help us believe, that we believe, I, I believe that I want you to believe that we can believe together. <laughs> Did, raise your hand if you understood what I just said. All right, we're close, we're close. So that's better than a lot of public school teachers. We got a 75% mark. If you're a public school teacher in here, raise your hand. I owe you coffee. <laughs> um, we believe that God's kingdom can be here and be now. And it happens through the seed inside of us, through the human endeavor empowered by God. And once we, once we grasp that, that the design of creation is for humanity to reveal over and over and over again who Yahweh is, who God is, 
the more um, purpose, the more um, power, and the more uh, transformative your life is and the people around you. This is why we believe, and we're going to get into this after Easter, that the biblical family, this priesthood of believers, is so important for the transformation of communities, for churches, for mission fields, for everything. It starts with the seed, this kingdom seed that God put in humanity. This is my creation. I'm putting you here. Live out my purposes. Do you see that? Everybody, if we with, you with me? Okay, now here, let's, let's go to the end of Genesis 3, and I'm going to adjust. We're going to do a biblical overview, and, and uh, I said this in Sunday school, I've heard it a bunch of times, I've read it in books. There are points in the scriptures that are like uh, the turnstile or the union station where everything revolves around it. Like the entire book revolves around these experiences that we read, right? So for Genesis 3 is one of them, right? So we've got the fall, and we've got this whole, uh, this, this poem about... Um, uh, but, the, but the serpent's going to crawl on the belly, grab in the dust, it'll be hostility, your offspring, and then here, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. That, that there will be, a man will come that will strike the head of the serpent. Right? Um, you, the Weeby Boys tried to trick me into going snake hunting one time. I still think it's a lie. It's like snipe hunting. They just wanted to get you out there so they can laugh at you. If you shoot a snake in the tail, this is a question, not like, I'm not trying, does it kill it? No, right? Right, so where do you have to, to kill a snake, what do you do? Chop its head off? Take its head off, right? So this head idea, put that in your mind. Put that in your depository and don't ever go snake hunting with the Weeby Twins. It's a trick. I'm convinced of it. So I will always say no. But if some of you teenage boys want to try it, you have permission with my two. Take them anytime. Then follow it up with some snipe hunting. You have to cut the head off of a snake, right? So this, this, this biblical imagery that's happening here is that the snake's head's going to be crushed, taken out, put it in your bank, the head. The head has to be destroyed, okay? Here we go. Verse 20, uh, my subtitle says paradise lost. This is after the fall. This is after all the consequences. Here's what happens. In the man, Adam, named his wife Eve because she would be the mother of all who live. And... The Lord God made clothing from animal skin. Remember, they were, not, they were naked and unashamed. And then they became naked and ashamed after they defined uh, good and evil for themselves. And now God's saying, you know what? I'm going to provide for you again. I've given you all that you needed. I put you in a place that had my presence and my power and everything you wanted. And you worked for pleasure. But now you have to work for work. And, you, and here's what ends up happening. The Lord said, look, the human beings have become like us. Not images of us. But like us, now we, they've gone a step further because now they can define for themselves what good and evil is. And frankly, it's a problem. Having knowing both good and evil, what if they reach out, take fruit from the tree of life? Really interesting stuff. And eat it. They will live forever. Remember, we read this as a consequence or a, a punishment, and I'm reading it as like God's protecting humanity because he doesn't want them to live forever in this constant state of turmoil. This is a blessing. It feels like a curse. You're put out of Eden. But if you live forever knowing you were naked and you were ashamed and you had something great and you, you just looked at it all the it's like, um, it's like being a gorilla at the zoo, right? They just look at you and go, I hate it in here. I want to be in the mist. Thank you. 
If you're under 30, you have no idea what I just said, right? Oh, my goodness. I hate that I'm getting old. So the Lord God... (laughs) Daylight savings time. So the Lord God banished them from the garden of... Does anybody understand what I just said? They want to be in the mist? Raise your hand if you know what I just said. It's a movie called Gorillas in the Mist. Okay. Look it up. Is Sigourney Weaver in that movie? Yeah. Do you guys know who Sigourney Weaver is? She's in Ghostbusters. So the Lord banished them from the Garden of Eden. He sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. Okay, now understand this. Adam's removed from the garden. He's no longer in the presence. He's no longer in Eden. He no longer has access to the tree of life, meaning he can't live forever. So he's moved out of the garden. But his role, responsibility, and life hasn't changed in what he's called to do. He's called to work. It was the same thing inside the garden. This time, no, now that he's outside of the garden, there's consequences for his work. He could stub a toe. He could hit his hand with a hammer. He could be eaten by the behemoth or the lion. He's not protected anymore. He's on his own. But the mandate to be my image bearer, my idol, the the one carrying out my purposes is not gone. Just because he's outside of Eden doesn't mean he's now, he, has, he forfeit that responsibility. That is a huge concept for us to, for us to grasp. So Adam is outside of, outside of the garden, and, and he's sent out to cultivate the land to do the very thing he was doing in the garden, but without his presence and without eternality associated with it. After sending them out, the Lord God stationed mighty cherubim to the east of the garden, and he placed flaming sword that flash back and forth to guard the way of the tree of life. If you're a reader in the ancient days and you're reading the Hebrew Bible or even first, second, third century, you'd read this. And here's the question. Here's the primary question. How do we get back there? That's the only question that should matter to you is how do Adam and Eve get back there and how is me as a human being, am I able to experience that again? How do I get back to this place? Okay. That's, that's the story of the Bible. How do we get back to Eden? How do we get back to heaven? You can hear me talking if you listen. It's the TV in the coffee room. Let's move to Genesis 12, another turnstile, another union station in the Bible. And this is where we're going to pick up for our, our talk today. We come here all the time. I'm here all the time. I said this is the most important, like a couple years ago I said it, that this is an incredibly important part of, this is the important part of the Bible. Genesis 12. I'm going to read the first mm, three verses for you. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land, and I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make, your fa- make you famous, and you will be blessing, other- blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you, the installation of blessing. We talked about covenants, and we walked through these covenants, and here's what happens in the covenants. God has made partnerships. He's made a deal with um, his people uh, to continue his redemptive uh, purposes on earth. And and every single time that he interrupts or creates another covenant, there's failure on the side of humanity with Noah. So what's really interesting, good to go back just a second, after Noah comes out of the ark, he immediately goes to a garden and starts to plant it. And immediately after that, 
He screws up. He fails. That's the human condition. Blessing, failure. Blessing, failure. Blessing, failure. But here, now, again, God is saying, I'm going to fix this creation of mine, my kingdom, through the line of one family, Abram. The story of the Bible ends with Jesus, but it's all about one family. There's all kinds of other fun stuff happening in it, but it really is about Abram and his family. He says bless multiple times in here. I'm going to bless, I'm going to bless, I'm going to bless, I'm going to bless the people around you. You're going to bless the nations. But this is something you got to grab a hold of. Anyone who curses you, I will curse them. Here we go. After Abram and Lot separate in chapter 13, we get to this one story, and this is where the framework for kingdoms, I think, is going to be fun to go to, into Jesus. And here's where we're going. Jesus arrives on earth, and he talks about the kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of God is here now. And... Uh, we're going we're gonna to get into that. Um, it's going to be Chris and Mark are going to teach on the kingdom of heaven. And then we're going to go into the series on Jesus and the royal priesthood, the family of who we are as God's people, his community, his biblical family. But right here, right here at the beginning of Abram's journey, we're going to read this entire story where Abram rescues Lot, okay? And I'm going to skip down. Uh, we're not going to get into the names, but I'm going to give you the fast forward version um, to verse 8. There's a battle going on. There's good kings, and there's, I mean, there's bad kings and bad kings. They're fighting each other, and uh, it's 5 verse 4. There's a whole thing happening here with kings that they want to fight. And basically, it's, it's a picture of what kings do. What do kings do? They take territory, they take taxes, and they exhibit their power. That's what happens, and it's introducing these, these people. And here we go, verse 8, and then we're going to read this whole story. Then the rebel kings of Sodom, Gomorrah, Adam, oh, no, no, we're going to keep going. Uh, I'm sorry, um, verse 11. Basically, Abram does a night raid, takes 300 people, and goes and wipes people out. The victorious invaders that plundered Sodom and Gomorrah, and headed home, taking with them all the spoils of war and the food supplies. They also captured Lot, Abram's nephew, who lived in Sodom and carried off everything he owned. But one of Lot's men escaped and reported everything to Abram, the Hebrew, who was living near the oak grove belonging to Mamre and the, the Amorite. Mamre and his relatives, Eshcol and Anar, were Abram's allies. So these are part of his covenant partners, part of his pals, part of people who were traveling with him. When Abram said leave, when God told Abram to leave, these are the people that left with him. When Abram heard that his nephew Lot had been captured, he mobilized the 318 trained men who had been born into his household. Then he pursued Kedor Lamor, I can't say that, army until he caught up with them at Dan. There he divided the men and attacked during the night, a night raid. Kedor Lamor's army fled, but Abram chased them as far as Hobath north of Damascus. Abram recovered all the goods that had been taken, and he brought back his nephew Lot and his possessions and all the women and other captives. So what we're reading right here is Abram. This is like the second chapter of Abram's life that we get to experience, right? Abram's a bad man. He's not a slouch. When I picture Abram, I've, I kind of see this guy with a cane, walking with a big beard, with a bunch of grit, you know, and this is a guy who's tough, He's hard, he can, he can wield a sword, and he, has, he knows how to lead people. And he, he does this raid and takes back everything that was taken. 
including his family and all of the spoils and all of the women. He brings it all back. And here's where the story kicks in that we're going we're gonna to kind of capture, I hope. After Abram returned from his victory over that fun guy and all of his allies, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Sheva, the king, that is the king's valley. And here's the name, Melchizedek, the king of Salem, the priest of God most high brought Abram some bread and wine. Melchizedek blessed Abram with this blessing. Catch this. Blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high who has defeated your enemies for you. Melchizedek, the king of Salem. Salem, Bible scholars, what do you think that, what town is that? It's Jerusalem. So there's a king who's not just a king, but he's a king priest. He not only is he the ruler of Salem, Jerusalem, the modern city of Jerusalem, he's also a priest, somebody who has access to God. And not only that, he worships the same God that Abram does. This is just a random priest king out here in the Jerusalem area that acknowledges Abram and Abram's God. And he does this thing. He blesses him. Let's go back to chapter 12. I'm not going to have you turn there, but what does God say? Bless those who bless you and I will bless all of the nations. This is an incredible important chapter in the entire biblical narrative of where this character Melchizedek shows up on the scene as a priest king to bless God's chosen family. This is the first time, the first time Abram's been blessed. The first time he's experienced the blessing. The time before that, what, he's been cursed. Somebody took some things from him. They took his people, and he had to go fight for them. Then Abram gave Melchizedek, here we go. I told you I was going to talk about offering today. A tenth of all the goods he had recovered. This is just spontaneous giving. Now think about this. I'm going to call Abram right now the combination of, of Jeffrey Bezos and Elon Musk as far as wealth goes in the world. He is filthy rich, and a tenth of that he gives to Melchizedek. The king of Sodom said, and you need to capture this, give back my people who were captured, but you may keep for yourself all the goods you have recovered. Abram replied to the king of Sodom, I solemnly swear to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will not take so much a single thread or sandal thong from what belongs to you. Otherwise, you might say, I am the one who made Abram rich. I will accept only what my young warriors have already eaten and request that you give a fair share of goods to my allies. Here's the deal. Abram's saying, I'm not going to make a partnership with you. I'm not going to be beholden to you. I'm beholden to God. This is the story of Melchizedek. This is the only place in scripture where Melchizedek exists. And Melchizedek, this character, is an explosive biblical story that happens all the way through the end of the Bible. All the way through. The priest king. Why is that important? Well, he's not only is he a king, a ruler of the space, but he also has access to the God most high. He is, he is a, a, a gardener of God's kingdom. He's planting seeds of blessing. And what does God tell again, Abram? I will bless those who bless you. And because of that, you will bless the nations. Okay, turn with me to Samuel. Second Samuel, actually. Verse, uh, chapter 6. 
and we'll go to 7 too. So now, this is after, this is, again, Genesis. We're going all the way through Genesis, right? All the things happen in Genesis. We can get into that some other time. Then Exodus happens, and all the things of Exodus go down, right? And the Ark of the Covenant, God's presence, is now with God's people. And now David, David, who they're thinking is going to be the one, right? The anointed one, if we were to get into this a little bit deeper. The anointed one comes on the scene, and here's what he wants to do. He wants to move the Ark to this location where... Melchizedek was, Jerusalem. Then David gathered all of the elite troops in Israel, 30,000 all, and led to Baal of Judah to bring the ark of God, which bears the name of the Lord of heaven's army, who enthroned between the cherubim. Now remember the cherubim from Eden, right? So God's presence in Eden, now God's presence is in this ark. Are you connecting with me? Are you tracking with me here? To place the ark on a new cart that brought from uh, Abdonab's house to the hill of Yuzah, Aho, Abdonab's son, who were guiding the cart and carried the ark of God. And here they're singing, they're dancing, and doing all this fun stuff. And now, verse 9, David was now afraid of the Lord, and how can I ever bring the ark of the Lord back into my care? So David decided not to move the ark of the Lord. Instead, into the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath. The ark of the Lord remained there in Obed-Edom's house for three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom in the entire household. Then King David was told the Lord had blessed, capturing the word blessing, God's presence is blessing. The Lord had blessed Odom Edom's household and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went there and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed Edom to the city of David with great celebration. After the men were carrying the ark of the Lord and had gone six steps, David sacrificed a bull and fattened calves. So think about this. You're moving the ark. One, two, three, four, five, six, sacrifice. One, Two, three, four, five, six, sacrifice. On and on and on. This is some reverence that's happening. David is recalling, like, this is what we need to do. Who sacrifices animals for God? Priests do. David is actually acting like a priest. He's saying, I'm a priest, and he's also a what? The king, he is actually, what the phrase in the scholars say, he's invoking Melchizedek right here. He's invoking the order of Melchizedek, that I'm going to be a priest king and bring the presence of God into the house of Jerusalem. So every six steps they, they sacrifice, and David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing priestly garment. So David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy, blowing of the ram's horn. David is freaking out. He's having a party. He is celebrating. He is excited because God's presence is arriving and he gets to usher it in as the priest king, the chosen seed, the one who's anointed. And all of, all of Israel, all of the Hebrews say, this is our guy. This is our man. This is the one that, has, that we're, we've been waiting for. This is the one that's going to rule and reign and actually show us and bring us back. Chapter three of Genesis, bring us back to where? Bring us back to Eden. This is the story of scripture to where they're going. This is the time we are going to live and walk and work and pleasure with the Lord. We're going back to Eden.
But as the Ark of the Covenant entered the city, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked down from her window when she saw the king David leaping and dancing before the Lord. She was filled with contempt for him. They brought the Ark of the Lord and set it in the place inside a special tent David had prepared for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings. Again, he's acting like a priest king. When he had finished his sacrifices, David blessed the people in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. The blessing, the blessing, the blessing. God's blessing through David. The blessing is perpetuating. This is the story of Abram. This is what the plan is. This is we're living out God's story in real time. This is the people going, yes, and amen. This is awesome. It's here. It's now. Then he gave every Israelite man and woman in the crowd a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins. Then all of the people returned to their homes. Think about that. This is millions upon millions of people he's feeding and blessing. The same behavior that Melchizedek had. After the battle, Melchizedek came, he met Abram, and he blessed him. He gave him food, he threw a feast. The behavior of the priest king is to feast. And David returned home to bless his own family. Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, in disgust, how distinguished the king of Israel looked today, shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like a vulgar person might do. David retorted to Michal, I was dancing before the Lord who chose me above your father and all his family. He appointed me as the leader of Israel, the people of the Lord. So I celebrate before the Lord. I promise there'll be no dancing in the nude in this church because that's what's happening right here. Yes, I'm willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. But those servant girls you mentioned will indeed think I'm a distinct, I, I am distinguished. So Michal, the daughter of Saul, remained childless throughout her entire life. Curse, curse, bless, bless. This is the high point of Israel. They just peaked. This is it. Everything else after this is downhill, 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 downhill. The next chapter is a covenant God makes with, with David about building the house. David wants to build a house. He's like, no, 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 I'm going to build a house in you. And then all the kids after that just fail, 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 fail. Even Solomon, his first son, he stands up and says, I am who was promised. I am the one. I am the seed of Israel. I am the kingdom bearer. I am and we all know that went sideways. And as you get to the end of uh, Second Kings, you see the temple destroyed. It's exactly what happens. This is the downfall. And the person who's writing, the biblical author who's writing this says, listen, this is the high point. I know what happens. Celebrate with them as they celebrate. Now, what does this have to do with kingdoms? Where we're going in this is that we're a, we are, we are kingdom bearers, image bearers right now here on earth. Turn with me to Psalm 110. We're going to close right here. I just went through the Bible. I didn't really say anything else other than Psalm 110. This is, uh, there's two other places Melchizedek's mentioned. This is one of them. And the other one is Hebrews chapter 7, which we might get time to, but I'm gonna, we're going to end up with worship here. Psalm 110. So this is a Psalm of David. David's writing this. David knows and has watched his family fail. David knows that he peaked on, in 2 Samuel 6. He knows that, that after that, because by the way, just a, quick, a few chapters after, um, after the ark comes, what happens? What does David do? He peers down and has the Bathsheba moment. He immediately fails. 
And then, won't even get into it. Why was David important? I did, I forgot to tell you this. Genesis 3, what did I say about the snake? It had to do what? Crush his head. If you were to read the Goliath story, it is obsessed with, David, with Goliath's head. There's an imagery there, and there's, it's so important that David cut the head off of Goliath. Symbolically. They're emphas- the ru- biblical writers are emphasizing that this, this, this guy might be the one that brings us back to Eden. This is the one. This guy might be the one. We find out later on, and this is what we're going to do next week. We're going to look at the prophets, right? Because after Jerusalem, after the temple falls, and they all go into exile, and all the Hebrews are scattered, and they're back to Babylon, and they're stuck. They're desperate. Then the prophets come in. They start talking about this guy, this guy that's coming, this guy that's coming, the real Messiah that's coming. We're going to talk about that next week because the whole story is to Jesus. But here's David's psalm. The Lord said to my Lord. That's a fun phrase, by the way. The Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. The Lord will extend your powerful kingdom from Jerusalem. You will rule over your enemies. When you go to war, you, your people will serve you willingly. You are arrayed in holy garments like priests, and your strength will be renewed each day like the morning dew. The Lord has taken an oath and will not break his vow. You are priests forever in the order of who? Melchizedek. The Lord stands at your right hand to protect you. He will strike down many kings when, he eru- when his anger erupts. He will punish the nations and fill their lands with corpses. He will shatter their heads. Serpent, he'll crush the heads over the whole earth, but he himself will be refreshed from the brooks along the way. He will be victorious. Psalm 110 uh, is one of the most quoted psalms in the New Testament. The New Testament authors write about Psalm 110 often. They, they hearken back to it. This, this matters, and, and Jesus quotes it. It's rich, it's dense, it's filled with all sorts of uh, biblical imagery, but it's also aligning uh, this, the person of Jesus, pointing to this, this thing. David's going, this is not me. I thought it was me. It's not me. I thought I was in the order of Melchizedek. There's one that's coming. And he, every biblical reader would go, oh, David wrote this, but it's not about him. But there is someone coming in the order of Melchizedek. Turn with me to Hebrews 7, and then I'll wrap it up. And the worship team, uh, worship team, if you, um, regardless of where I'm at, will come up in two and a half minutes. Hannah, you can do it. <laughs> you see, as why did I use the word thread? When you tie a thread from, from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, you can see it attached all the way to the end of the story. And there's hooks that jump onto it the whole way. When you see Genesis 12 attached all the way to the end of the story, you see the blessing and the curse all the way to the end of the story. All the way to the end of the story. There's all these hooks, and we're, gonna, we're trying to expose them. And, and it might feel like it's all over the place. It, I'm telling you, there's, it is a, from beginning to end, the biblical authors are, are trying to draw the reader in to ask the question again, how do we get back to Eden? How do I get to experience heaven on earth? And we sang this morning, build your kingdom here, build heaven here. And what we're going to find out in this, I'm going to reveal it, I'm going to keep preaching on it, is that we're kingdom bearers, image bearers. We get to actually show the seed of who Jesus is. We live with the life of Christ in us. Romans 12, 1 and 2, offer your body as living sacrifices. You, who can sacrifice things? Priests can. Offer, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. 
We're going to get into all that. That's what we've been called out to be, but it has to be established. It has to be built. Now remember, we talked about this in Sunday school today. David is from what line, what tribe, what family? Judah. Are those the priests? No. No. God jumps off the priest bandwagon and the Exodus story exposes why that matters. And we'll talk about that. Come on in, kids. Find your parents. We're almost done. The Exodus story. So come to Sunday school. We're going to expose all of that over the next 67 weeks. But this... This is what happens. The, the, the priest line is, is shown to be a failure all the way through the Exodus story. And so you get this sense that at some point it's going to have to jump to another line. And when you get the blessing from Jacob to his tribe, you see the language there. But you think it's a ruling area, ruling focus, like the scepter will never leave you, Judah. But what it really is, is not only will the ruling come for the, your kingdom, but also the sacrifice will come, which we talk about on Easter, Good Friday, the sacrifice. It's all tied together. It's hooks upon hooks upon hooks to show you that this entire story is about Jesus. All of it points to the person of Jesus Christ. He embodies everything that's said from beginning to end. And so we'll never be ashamed to talk about the good news of Jesus Christ because it's the good news from Genesis 1 to Revelation 21. It's the entire story of Scripture points to the person of Jesus. Now let's look. The Melchizedek is greater than Abraham. Now we're going to get towards the end. And here it says, Jesus is like Melchizedek. Verse 15, the change has been made very clear since the different priests who was like Melchizedek has appeared. Jesus became a priest, not not by meeting the physical requirement of belonging to the tribe of Levi, but by the power of a life that cannot be destroyed. And the psalmist pointed this out when he prophesied, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Yet, that's Psalm 110, by the way. Yes, the old requirement of the priesthood was set aside because it was, a, it was weak and useless. And as you read the Exodus story, you'll find that when, when Moses is up on Mount Sinai and was experiencing God's presence, what's Aaron doing at the bottom? He's building a golden calf. He's being a useless priest. But at the top, I'm waking babies up, sorry. <laughs> But when you're in God's presence, we, we understand that we are the priesthood of believers. And we're set aside because for we've been set aside to reveal, to show, to be the gateway to, for people to experience the divine. There is nothing more powerful. I'm going to do this with Albert real quick. There's nothing more powerful than coming up and shaking the guy's hand and saying, good morning. Good morning. And you shake the hand and they feel something different about you. That's the presence of God, the priesthood of believers. When you engage with other people as God's people, you are showing them a picture in the divine. You are showing them creator. You are giving them a taste of Eden when you're generous and loving and caring and, 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 and just give a blessing. You are showing Eden, giving them heaven on earth. For the law never made anything perfect, but now we have confidence and a better hope through which we draw near. Verse 20, the new system was established with the solemn oath. Aaron's descendants became priests with, without such an oath, but there was an oath regarding Jesus. For God said to him, the Lord has taken an oath and he will not break his vow. You are priests forever. That's Psalm again. Because of this oath, Jesus is the one who guarantees this better covenant with God. Jesus is the one who guarantees that we get to experience not only Eden again, but Eden on earth 
To pretend as though you can't experience heaven on earth is wrong. It's not part of the biblical structure. It's not part of the design. Why Jesus comes, and Chris, I think, will get into this a little bit, and Mark will get into a little bit, is that you get to experience a taste of heaven here and now as you walk, talk, live your life out as a kingdom priest, somebody who, who has the seed of the kingdom, but are building his kingdom here and now. When we're, here's the big thing. We submit our, des, our desire to choose right and wrong. We submit it and say, no, no, no. You can choose right and wrong for me, and I will submit under your authority, under your rule and your reign, under your lordship in my life. And I will live as a priest king in your kingdom. And everywhere I go, I will bring about the joy of the Lord. I will dance before you because I'm so excited about your presence being here and your presence being here now. That's what's happening here in the story of scripture. And what happens is we are invited into that. And Jesus has provided a way, the priest king provided a way for us to access that. There's no accident that the veil was torn and the Holy of Holies was opened up. It's no accident that the spirit of God rushed over the earth, over all of creation, so that anybody can access it whenever and however they want. It's no accident. It is all designed and planned and and provided, and we can read it, and that's why literacy matters. So when we sing, one of the songs we're going to sing is Ever Be, and that your praise will ever be on my lips. That when you talk, the praise of the Lord is on your lips. It might not be like flowery language, but you can tell somebody's countenance. Kim asked me this morning, he's like, is there something wrong with you? I said, I'm fine. But there's something that happens to your face when, it's, when you're not fine, right? Like you're like, I can look at you and you don't look fine to me. You look like a hot mess. What's happening? But when you come with a countenance with praise, ever be on your lips, you are a kingdom bearer, an image bearer, one who is showing the divine to those around you. Let's stand and let's sing together.